This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hey fam, welcome to another episode of Making Shift Happen. Today, I'm going to be answering the question that I get very often. And that's, how the hell do I get faster on my bike? (laughs) Maybe not in those exact words, but you know, that's a pretty good summary of what folks ask me, whether they're friends or prospective clients of mine. And I'd love to kind of, you know, boil this down a little bit into five of the simplest things to focus on. That way you're not feeling like you have to do quote unquote, all the things. And I think I'm going to hopefully make it as simple as possible in order for you to actually implement these changes because you can know and you can learn and you can explore and listen to another podcast episode and watch another YouTube video and this and that and do like a million other things, right? And gain all of this other knowledge. But I want to make this actionable for you. All right. Because if it's not actionable, then it's just not going to happen. All right. Let's just, let's just be real with that. Now, these are my personal top five tips. There are other things you can do. Yes, but I'm going to try to try to boil it down for you as best as I can. This first thing is perhaps the most important thing for you to learn as a mountain biker and also a gravel cyclist. And that is line choice. I cannot emphasize this enough. You could be following your fastest friends, your your partner even, who's maybe really fast, but sometimes their line choice is maybe not the most ideal. And I know for me, I personally learned exceptional line choice. Now that doesn't mean that I'm that I'm exceptional at it. I'm better at it at it now, much better at it now. But I learned exceptional line choice from one of my coaches, Ann Gallion, who's a former pro rider. And I learned that in uh, the Rider to Racer series, which is presented by VentureBirds. I'm going to link that in the show notes because I think that they did already open up pre-enrollment for even next year because it's a popular program. They cap it, you know, at, at only maybe about 10 to 12 people tops, just because we want you to have really good one-on-one attention with that. And with the one-on-one attention that you get, at a, a clinic. Usually we'll, we'll have it in Snowmass, Colorado, but in that clinic, you get the one-on-one attention with Anne, as well as another coach. Usually it's Tori, who's a phenomenal coach as well. She has really good, uh, line choice. Um, if you're listening, Tori, <laughs> you know, I love you, but no, seriously, learning exceptional line choice is going to save you so much time, effort, and energy. And that is going to make you faster. All right. All too often I'll see this, especially if I'm riding behind someone, um, I never say anything, but you know, if I'm riding behind someone, sometimes I'll notice that they'll take quote unquote, like the easier quote unquote line, you know, like the one that doesn't have as many rocks or things like that. Sometimes that's actually not going to be the fastest line. Sometimes you do have to take what we call the high line. So it's a little bit higher on the trail. Maybe it's at a little bit of a bank or an angle. It might look a little awkward at first, but when you actually look at it, it's less effort than a lower line, which might be where sometimes water flows a little bit more. So please know that sometimes 
where water flows on the trail is not always the wisest of choices for line choice. Sometimes you do need to actually take the line that is going to be less eroded, less, you know, less, less wear and tear on the trail, but it might just look a little bit more terrifying because it is, it's not where you see other people's tires going. All right. So learning tire choice or learning, learning line choice rather is, is, hands down, one of the best things that you can do for becoming a faster cyclist, whether it's mountain biking, gravel cycling, doesn't matter. Uh, same thing with road cycling, even, you know, especially if you're doing hairpin, hairpin corners or switchbacks or things like that, it helps so much. Now, of course, this isn't something I can really show you necessarily in a podcast. Uh, it's just something that you, it's a skill that is really good to learn. And you know, like I said, the Rider to Racer program, it is really good at that. We have some exceptional folks who are, are coaching in that program. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, if I don't let me know, send me a message. Sometimes I forget I'm human. Uh, but yeah, choosing a good line on the trail is going to be the best way to get faster on the bike. All right. The less resistance you have on the bike, that's going to create a faster experience on the bike. Uh, second thing is skills. All right. Skills, learning the appropriate skills, which of course line choice, that is a skill to learn. Sure. But when I'm talking skills, I'm talking more about your body position on the bike and bike body separation and making sure that you're not so stiff on the bike. You're getting kind of loose. All right. You're, you're learning to absorb the trail more. Now, some skills that are incredibly important, especially when it comes to generating more speed is going to include not only bike body separation with your your body, you know, being able to move the bike under you, for example, but pumping, being able to pump your bike and yourself, your body on the trail is going to save you pedal power, first of all. So you're not going to feel like you have to pedal incessantly. You're going to feel like you can actually use the trail to your favor to give you and generate more speed. So learning to pump, go to going to a pump track, you know, it's not just for the kids. It's, it's literally for everyone who is on a bike. If you have a pump track near you, especially if it's designed really well, you will learn how to carry speed through the pump track with hardly pedaling, if not pedaling at all. All right. Getting a few pedal strokes in, in the beginning, and then just kind of letting it roll. And that is really what's going to help you generate more speed. It's just learning how to pump, learning how to, you know, move that bike under you. And then in the realm of skills, you know, adapting, being able to, to get into a really, really strong and capable body position is going to be incredibly important. So making sure that you have a really good base of support, you know, you're hinging at your hips properly. You're not just squatting down on your bike and not being able to utilize the strength that your legs are able to generate, but really focusing on instead hinging at your hips, kind of like a deadlift, hinging at your hips instead and getting into that attack position or what many of us coaches call the ready position. That is going to give you a really phenomenal base of support and stability as you're encountering any technical features going downhill. It will just help you distribute your weight better on the bike. That way you're not feeling like you're fighting the bike. All right. You're, you're instead allowing the bike to kind of flow under you, which is fantastic. That's really where we want to be on our bike. Okay. And then being able to just kind of, you know, uh, float over things as effectively as you can with those skills that you're learning. Now, the third thing that you can do is breaking correctly. 
So yes, this can be grouped together with skill work, sure, but I feel like breaking really needs to be on a separate line in and of itself because overbreaking is a thing, okay? Your brain is trying to keep you alive. It's trying to do its job. And that is fantastic. We want to maintain that ability of the brain to keep you alive, sure. But let me go ahead and share this with you. You can overbreak. And, you know, I get it. It's, it's again, this is a skill that requires just exposure to the actual situation repeatedly. All right. And what can help with that is just learning how to break effectively and, and getting exposure to that on a consistent basis and just trying to not slam on the brakes. All right. Try to think of the brakes as a little bit of a dimmer switch. And you don't want to just slam on the brakes unless it's an emergency situation, of course. But, you know, as you're going through corners or terrain that might be a little bit more challenging, it's nice to kind of imagine that your brakes are dimmer switches. And I want you to use both brakes, ideally. All right. And, you know, I think all too often, whenever I'm coaching individuals, I see that they're a little bit more fearful of the front brake because they don't want to slam on the front brake because they have a fear of going over the handlebars, which is a very real fear. All right. I'm not here to discredit that by any means, but I am here to say that you want to be able to use your front brake because it is going to be most of your braking power. Okay. I don't want you to be scared of that. Instead, you know, think of it as a dimmer switch. Don't slam on it. All right. Think, think, a nice consistent dimmer switch and modulate it. You know, just because you're braking doesn't mean that you have to keep braking. You can take off the brakes. You can let off the brakes a little bit and just modulate however much braking you need. Now, all too often in lessons, I will hear coaches instruct their, you know, their athletes, Hey, don't break at all going into a corner. Mm. While I understand the intention and I am also guilty of this as well, it's, it's a wiser, it's a wiser choice to modulate the brakes and modulate your speed as much as you want to leading into the corner. All right. And then letting go of the brakes slowly as you exit the corner, just as an example. Okay. Whoops. Um, so one of the, one of the coaches I've actually worked with recently shared the two, one, none, type of philosophy when it comes to breaking, especially in a corner and, you know, especially a bermed corner, something that has a little bit of angle with the two, one, none philosophy, it is going to be, you're going to break both brakes, you know, so front and rear, and you're going to, you know, just modulate your speed going into a corner. So both brakes, two brakes at that point to modulate your speed. Then when you hit the apex or the peak of that corner, that's when you're going to reduce your braking power to just your rear brake, not necessarily your front brake because your front brake is going to, to slow you down faster. Instead, you just want to modulate that speed just a little bit as you're halfway through that turn. All right. And then as you exit the turn or exit the corner, that's when you release the brakes as long as you're comfortable doing so, but that will help you kind of slingshot in and out of that corner a little bit more effectively, helping you carry speed through the corner without necessarily reducing you down to hardly any speed at all. And then you have to pedal out of the corner. No one wants to pedal out of the corner. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a wasted energy. So breaking effectively and learning how to do that effectively is really going to help you in in tandem with line choice and skill work, like bike body separation and things like that, 
All of that is really going to help you be faster and feel faster on the bike. All right. Next, let's jump in the last two tips here. The third one that I have for you, or excuse me, not the third one, the fourth one, I can't count, is to fuel enough. Now, of course, fueling enough is, it's, it's going to vary person to person. It's going to vary between me and you. And that's beautiful. That's what makes it so cool and unique is we each have this own little story of what our body needs and what the demands are for our body based on age, gender, you know, activity level, any history with training and things like that. And also ultimately what your goals are. You know, if you do happen to have some fat loss goals, eh, there, there's going to have to be a little bit of a sacrifice with performance and speed if you are trying to strive for fat loss. Okay. Now, of course, I am a strong component. If you've been listening to this podcast for a length, any length of time, I'm a very strong proponent of not under eating, not under fueling. I want you to fuel effectively. All right. So in order for you to fuel effectively, it is going to require some experimentation. And of course you can get a coach. I know I'm biased. I am a health coach and nutrition coach. So I do obviously offer assistance with this, but the biggest thing I would suggest is trying to track your food loosely for a couple of weeks, you know, especially on those days that you are maybe going for a bike ride and you're riding a longer distance or riding something that's a little bit more intense. I think it's very smart to just become aware of how much you're eating, what you're eating, what are some of these, you know, food choices that you're making. And I am not here to make you feel bad about food choices or any of that BS. That is not my style. I don't believe in that at all. What I do believe in, however, is to try to try to fuel effectively for your needs. And we each have different needs and we need to respect that. But I will say, generally speaking, and this is a big generalization, I'm speaking with my hands and I'm hitting my microphone again. I apologize. But um, the big generalization is, I will say for most females, generally speaking, about 2000 calories is a good minimum for most. And this is just a generalization. So it's a blanket statement. I cannot emphasize that enough. Everyone is different. Again, if you're in a fat loss phase, you might require some less calories and still maintain your energy levels. Like there's definitely a timing thing that, that comes into play with this, which I'll share here in a second. But you know, if you're, if you're male, it, it might require 2,500 calories or more on days that you're active and days that you're biking and things like that. However, if fat loss is a goal, then yeah, you might require less than that. And I think it's, it's definitely not something to be scared of. If you are going to eat at a slight deficit for a little bit of time, it, the key is you don't want to be at a, at a major deficit for a longer period of time, because then your metabolism can just slow down a little bit and just adapt. All right. You're not going to break your metabolism or anything like that. I'm not here to say any crap like that, but you, you can, your, your metabolism is adaptive and it's just going to adapt to how much it's being fueled and how much the output is, all right? Now, of course, this takes some experimentation and kind of going back and forth, but the first thing you should do is just track your food a little bit. You can use MyFitnessPal. It's free. Don't You don't have to get the paid one if you don't want it. But again, this is just to bring awareness to how much you're eating because that is going to be incredibly important, and that is something that I see time and time again makes such a shift in people and their performance, and just how vibrant they feel. Now, fueling enough, again, just kind of figuring out where you're starting from, that's a good baseline. And then going from there, there's obviously a whole other rabbit hole that I can send you down, but just making sure that you're fueling enough. And the thing here is that if you're feeling just completely spent, 
I don't know another word for that, but just completely exhausted after a big event or a big ride, or maybe not even a big ride. Maybe it's just your local ride and you're like, geez, Jen, I feel like shit. Uh, This does not feel normal. You know, in the, let me start by saying that not every training ride, not every workout is going to feel amazing. It's not going to all feel like rainbows and unicorns. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, There's a bunch of other factors that can be, you know, considered with this, and that includes menstruation, sleep, stress, work, kids, school, whatever it is for you, you know, all those life stressors, right? Those can all impact your energy levels and performance and just how you're feeling in general, right? Now, that being said, if you're consistently feeling like crap or just not feeling good after rides and things like that, or, you know, any, any fitness endeavor, then chances are you might just not be feeling enough or sleeping enough. And those two things can come into play, you know, uh, and they can influence one another. But I would say just start with just tracking, you know, how much you're eating on days that you're riding, do include all your snacks and stuff like that. And try to keep in mind, you know, and I'll, I'll link the, in the show notes, my other episodes that dive into nutrition a little bit more, but it is a very thing, a very, uh, important thing for you to consider in terms of fueling, just making sure you're not under fueling. Okay. Last but not least, you know, I'm going to say this strength train, definitely strength train, get in some plyometric work with your, with your training, which is any type of explosive work, power training, and try to get some intervals in one time a week or so. If you're not able to, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Generally speaking, mountain biking in and of itself is interval training uh, just because of the undulations and the trail and things like that, depending on where you live. I know here in Colorado, it's basically like a hit training, uh, training session, but getting in one set of intervals every week, intentional intervals is going to be key. What should these intervals look like, Jen? I know you're probably dying of ask, dying to ask that. It varies. It depends. You know, I think it's very smart to kind of progress these things and change these things as the season goes along. But all too often, I think we also get really hung up on data points and being quote unquote perfect, 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 perfect. We're always striving for perfect. I need to be right in my heart rate zone. I need to be right in my RPE. I need to be X, Y, Z. Folks, I'm going to boil it down here with intervals. Intervals are are a wise addition to your training plan because they help improve your recovery and performance in a certain given time domain. All right? That's it. And they help with your recovery. They help with your heart rate recovery after these push efforts, after these interval sessions. Intervals basically... If you're curious and you're maybe not clear on what intervals are, this is when you have a certain time period that you're training and pushing it hard or, you know, climbing or doing something outside of your baseline, you know, which is kind of like zone one, zone two land, you know, baseline heart rate, right? And you're pushing it a little bit more for a certain period of time. Could be 10 seconds, could be up to 20 minutes or so. I mean, intervals vary. But generally speaking, intervals that will help you with speed are going to be things that are going to be more or less in the like 10 second to like five minute range, more or less. Again, generalizations. But then that 
work period is followed by a rest period. And the rest period can vary in time because generally speaking, you, you want to kind of start off slow when you're new to intervals. So, you know, start with a, a one to two ratio of work to rest periods. So by that, and I'm just going to use this as like an example, like a one minute rest to two or one minute work to two minutes of rest. That's just an example. I would probably start off even less than that, but that's just to give you an example. And it's just you working more intensely for a certain period of time, and then you recovering and resting for a certain period of time. That's going to be incredibly important. Is there a magic potion to this? You know, yes and no. Um, I think it's important based on what type of racing effort or racing event you're training for. You need to consider that because you need to consider what is the, you know, generally speaking, what's the zone that I'm going to be in for the most part during that race effort. And then, you know, structuring your training around that. But having an interval session once a week, and I mean, there's intervals that are available online. I could dive a little bit deeper, but this is when it, this is when it boils down to like the individual and your event and what type of riding you do mostly. All right. For me, for example, in the Shred Strong program, I vary it. You know, the beginning of the season, um, generally speaking, we're doing some pretty intense things. Like we're doing 40 20s or 20 40s. So like 20 seconds of work, 40 seconds of rest, and then switching that where it's 40 seconds of work, 20 seconds of rest. And that is it's, I love those intervals. I mean, I hate them, but I love them so much. And then also, um, you know, there's 50 tens. So 50 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest, and then switching that 10 seconds of work, 50 seconds of rest. And that's going to be incredibly intense. So, you know, it's, it, it's varied. So that that's definitely going to help you with speed and just being able to recover from really hard efforts, right? With a short recovery period. That's what's going to opt. That's what those type of intervals are going to optimize. Then there's also climbing intervals. You know, right now I have uh, a lot of my folks doing some climbing intervals just because of their goals to finish out the season with some fall events that do involve a lot of elevation gain. So yeah, we're getting some climbing intervals in where they're getting used to that followed by some rest, which is nice because that actually mimics a lot what they're going to see out on the trail. So it's going to be very realistic to what they're training towards. Um, but ultimately get in some strength training at least twice a week. That's going to be a great minimum, especially if you are biking or skiing, getting ready to get into the ski and snowboard season. I hate to say it, but for a lot of us here in the Northern hemisphere, that's just going to be reality that we have to face. So Getting in two days a week of strength training, having that include a little bit of plyometric or power training, and then having an interval session, ideally once a week is going to be a good minimum. Um, Obviously you can have more. It just depends on what your schedule and capabilities are. I'm not going to sit here on this, on the other end of the microphone here and try to tell you something that you're just not capable of implementing because that's just not realistic. That is not real life. It's it's going to make you feel defeated and depleted. And I'm not here for that because mm-mm. No one's got time for that BS, right? But I'm here to give you some simple steps to focus on. All right. So again, let's recap. First things first, line choice. That's going to be incredibly important. Second, skills, getting some skill work in, learning and honing that bike body position and bike body separation and learning how to pump your bike effectively on the trail. Uh, The third thing is braking correctly. You know, just having that as an added skill is going to be phenomenal especially in the corners, because you can lose a lot of speed in the corners or descents. Uh, Fueling enough is going to be the fourth thing, just making sure that you're eating enough and staying on top of that as best as possible. And then last but not least, strength training, including some plyometrics and some intervals 
uh, every week is really going to set you ahead to get you faster on the bike. But ultimately, I do want to I do want to leave you with this question: Why do you want to get faster on the bike? You know, what is it about getting faster on the bike that calls to you? Is it because you're feeling a little competitive with folks on Strava or friends that you ride with? Uh, what is it? And I think ultimately getting down to the why of why you want to get faster on the bike is going to be a nice reminder because at the end of the day, there are going to be moments where you're going to lose motivation and you're just not going to want to train. You're not going to want to hit the gym or hit the intervals or you're going to want to sleep in a little bit more. And while I do think that there is a time and a place for you to give your body the space and time that it needs to kind of recover and not feel like you're training endlessly, right? There is also time and a space for you to put in the work. And remembering why you're doing it, why you started this adventure and this, this, you know, this path to get faster on the bike, remembering why you're doing it is going to be key. But then also making sure that it's for a good valid reason. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily because you're like, Hey, I just want to be faster than so-and-so. Cause sometimes that can just be such a defeatist attitude. You know, we're all on bikes and I mean, quite honestly, when I'm riding with people, I don't care how fast or how slow they're going. Um, I'm just so happy to be out on bikes, you know, and, and I'm a real big proponent of just riding your ride and, and not worrying too much about what other people are doing, unless they're doing something unsafe that might put others at risk. So check in with why you're wanting to get faster on the bike and then remember why. All right. That's all I have for you today, friends. Uh, just as a nice little reminder and a nice little plug here, shred strong. The fall and winter cycle is going to officially start in November. I think the date is November 6th and Monday, November 6th. So we're starting a little bit later than usual. Usually it's in October, but you know what? We're doing it a little bit later, but that's fine. You can still join in October if you want to. It's an, I'm doing enrollments every month because I am here to let you know that your training should fit your schedule. If you are ready to start something right now, then by all means, sign up and start. I'm not going to say, oh, nope, you can't do it. I just have to... I just have to add a little note to your account. That way I remember, hey, you start it two weeks early before a cycle or two weeks after or something like that, right? So don't worry. It's it's no, it's nothing on my end. I'd rather you start when you're ready and you feel the fire under your butt because that is that motivating factor, okay? You're feeling motivated. You're taking action and taking action is really what's going to get things done. So check the link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about Treadstrong. Again, we'll get started officially with the new cycle in November, but you can join before that. Totally up to you. I am so glad you gave this episode a listen. If you enjoyed it, please share it on social media and tag me at Shifting Performance. I would love to see that and share it accordingly. And I am just so grateful that you're here. All right. I will catch you next week. And in the meantime, I hope you have a beautiful day and enjoy your riding. Bye.